listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I'm excited to bring the word this morning. I've been praying. Uh, my wife and I just got back from Georgia yesterday. Um, we got to spend a couple of days at a marriage retreat together, which was incredible. I'm just thankful. How many of you know the Lord? He is continually working on us. Oh, you don't know that yet? The Lord is continually working on us. I know that it doesn't matter whether I feel like I need to be worked on or not. As I go with the Lord and I journey with him, he's constantly putting his finger on different areas of my life so that I can walk in complete healing and wholeness. So it was just an incredible weekend. And I was thinking as I was up there in the mountains, um, what should I share with our spiritual family the weekend before conference? How many of you have been to one of our conferences before? So we don't just do conference to do conference. We, we believe that we pray, we fast, and we position ourselves to have an encounter with Jesus. Now, Jesus wants to encounter us all the time. I'm not saying that Jesus only wants to encounter you January 27th to 29th, but there are moments, say moments. There are moments. There are moments. There are divine moments where God invades our space and he does something that's a little bit extra than our ordinary. Now, we live a lot of our lives in the ordinary, in the day-to-day going about life. You have your job, you have your family, you have your responsibilities, but every once in a while we get to step into the extraordinary. And this is what we're believing for, that we have these moments, these times, in the Bible it would be called a kairos moment. We live in chronos, it's time moving in, in one direction, but every once in a while you see a kairos moment. It's a moment where God comes in and it's sovereign, it's supernatural, and it's other than. I mean, the trajectory of your life can change in a Kairos moment. And I want this. I want this for me. I want this for you. So so why am I saying this? I want to position us as a spiritual family to step into next weekend full of faith. Now, I know that in this room, there are people that are going through great seasons in life. Man, you've got, your, you've got your goals and all of your stuff, and you're killing it. And there are others who you fell off the track about seven days ago. And you're struggling, and it's hard. So I recognize in this room, there are mountain highs and valley lows. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is no matter where we find ourselves, he meets us there. He is the God who is present in all situations. So I want us to position our hearts, and I actually want to talk for just a few minutes this moment about about defining moments. Now, if you read your Bible, if you've read it from Genesis to Revelation, you know that this book is full of defining moments. There are are highlights all throughout the Bible, all throughout the narrative, and there are moments where God would take people and he would do something supernatural in the midst of them that would change the whole trajectory of their lives. How many of you have ever had a moment like this? I've had moments like this. I've had moments where, where my life was going in a direction And all of a sudden, I found myself in a defining moment. I'll never forget being in Jacksonville. And um, I had no idea anything about Pentecost. Came into a Pentecost church at 18 years old as a drug addict kid who had a lot of struggles. But, But all roads had led me to here, this country church in Ocean Way, Jacksonville, Florida. Introduced with a guy with a Dr. Pepper shirt named Bubba. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm in this church, and I'm from Orlando. I, I, I'm like, I don't want to hug you, bro. Keep your distance. But they bring this guy named Marvin Gorman. He's like 145 years old. <laughs> and he's praying for people, and they're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, okay, this is all new to me. And, and, and speaking in tongues and all of this stuff. And, and I'm like, mm, I don't know, bro. I don't know. He's like, God's going to touch you. You're going to speak in a different language. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Only reference point I really had was a little bit of like assemblies of God, but mostly Seventh-day Adventist. So all of a sudden, he's like, I'm going to call a few of you up on the stage, and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm like, I just knew. I'm like, I'm going to end up on that freaking stage. <laughs> sure enough, 800 people in the room. It's a big church. All of a sudden, I find myself on the stage. I'm like, this sucks. And again, I have no idea like what's about to happen And so he goes and prays, and I'm like, person number three, he's going down the row, and I'm making internal vows. There's no way that this old joker's gonna knock me over. So you know, if you've been in this position, you brace yourself. You're like, no, bro, it ain't gonna be me. And next thing I know, like 30 seconds later, I have fallen back. I'm conscious, but I have fallen on another girl's arm, and I can't move. And it it was a defining moment. I'm not saying it was even about me praying in a different language. It was more about God showing me I'm going to do whatever I want to do in your life, whether you want it to happen or not. It was a a defining moment in my life. 
Now, I don't know about you. Maybe this is your first time in church or maybe you've been here 20 years. I think on both sides of the spectrum, we have different difficulties we have to go through. If you've been in church 30 plus years, you think you've had all your defining moments. I've had my moments. I've seen all that I've had to see. I'm just waiting for you to catch up to my moments. Now, if you've never had a defining moment, you're like me. You've braced yourself. You're like, no, bro. I don't care how much you sing about the Lord and who he's like. I will not be touched by this. And on both sides of the spectrum, God's trying to crash in on this. Now, even, even without making it hyper-spiritual, we love moments. The reason we watch sports is for what? It's for that moment. It's for that, it's for that pivotal moment where everything changes. Maybe there's an underdog going against the, the Goliath, and all of a sudden there's a moment that happens in the game that shifts everything. And we have what? We have an emotion. It's why we keep coming back and back and back and back. And so I want us to kind of fix ourselves on this thought of what it would look like for us to have a, a defining moment. We have these, these things throughout life. Maybe the first time you got married, may, maybe the first time you went to church and God touched you, maybe you walked in with all kinds of dysfunction. Maybe, maybe, like, maybe we can model it for you. I wanna invite you into a defining moment for us. I'm gonna invite my wife up. We're gonna model this defining moment thing for just a moment. Can we do that? Hi guys, it's me. So you're gonna have to forgive me because um, on the flight uh, yesterday, I'm having like ear trouble so I cannot hear out of my left ear. So I was talking to people in the foyer earlier and I was like, talking to my good ear. <laughs> and uh, so y'all pray that I have a defining moment in a be minute healed. and be <laughs> healed. Because it's really hard. It's really hard to sing and you can't hear. But yeah, so you guys know us by now. Um, you've been around us. Where there's so much change that always frequently happens here at Abide. There's always expansion. There's always growth. And so there is a defining moment coming for us as a body and we just wanted to share with you guys a heads up before it got out to the public. We wanted you guys to be the first to know that our Abide family is growing. Yeah. And so this is exciting, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. So I was telling him, I was like, I wanted to wait to share with you guys, but I physically cannot hide it anymore. So our family Aww. is growing. <laughs> So we had a defining moment. We had a defining moment and we had been praying and praying and praying. And because I physically cannot hide it. Now, this is not your moment, guys. Let me tell you something. Do not come up to me after service and say, I noticed you had gotten a little pudgy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not your, this is not going to be a good defining moment for you if you do it, okay? <laughs> That's right. But I told him, I was like, It will I'm, be a defining moment though. <laughs> but not a good one. Um, I told him before I said, I've been wearing as much baggy stuff as I could possibly wear for the past like months. I was like, I'm to the point I can't hide it anymore. So we've got to just share it with you guys. So we wanted to let you guys in on that secret. Y'all are the first to know. We're super excited. Thank you guys. Defining moment. Wanted to model it for us. Now, throughout the Bible, you see this all throughout. You see that God creates, God speaks, God calls. Particularly in Exodus 3, you would see that God would have a defining moment with Moses. That God would visit Moses, Moses being 40 years in Egypt, another 40 years on the backside of the wilderness. He is about to have a defining moment. Last week, we talked about Gideon. How many of you remember last week? This was our chapter of the week. Every week, again, we're going to read through one chapter and memorize one verse. Last week, it was, it was Judges 6, right? We were reading about Gideon, how God came to Gideon and he spoke to Gideon. A man who was insecure, a man who was struggling with identity, who probably had some, some bitterness towards God. Why would you meet me? Where was the God of, that did all the miracles? I am the least of the least, yet still, God does what? He meets him on the backside in a wine press, and it was a defining moment. Now in Exodus 3, we are invited again into a moment where Moses is on the backside of the wilderness tending sheep for his father-in-law Jethro, and God is about to meet him in a significant way. And I want, I want to lay this on us in, in context of I believe this is what God is wanting to do for us. How many of you know, like I said 10 minutes ago, God is wanting to meet our ordinary and make it extraordinary. That's not just, that's not just like, wow, that's not, no, that's real. Like in the midst of our everyday life, the same way that God met Moses on the backside of the wilderness in the middle of dysfunction. Let's talk about how he got there. He got there by murdering somebody and running away. 
It wasn't like the divine strategy of God to lead him to the wilderness. God met him in the middle of his dysfunction, hiding on the backside of a wilderness. And I want to read it for us. And I, and I, want, I, want, to, I want to kind of give us a picture of what it means to be in a defining moment. So in Exodus 3, chap, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And as he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, he came to the mountain Sinai. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, say behold. Again, behold, it's important. The bush was on fire, yet it was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn, say turn. I must turn and see this great sight, why this bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned away from the flock to look, God said to him from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take off the sandals of your feet because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So he, is now found, he has found himself in a moment. It is a defining moment where God, after 80 years, remember, remember this is the kid who was put in the basket, preserved, grew up in the house of Pharaoh, is now being met by a bush that is on fire but is not being consumed. And what I love and I think we easily look over is not only did he have to turn, but he had to see. Like, oh, I want to stop, pause, say law. In order for God to speak to him and send him on the next journey of his life, the trajectory was about to change, there needed to be a recognition that something is happening in my midst that is uncommon. Something is happening. It wouldn't have been irregular for him to see a bush burning in the midst of a dry desert. What made the situation special was he had the ability to turn and recognize there's something different about this bush. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves in the context of me and you is how many divine opportunities, maybe it's not a burning bush, it'd be a little weird, right? But in the midst of our everyday life, how many circumstances and situations has God set up where he's waiting for us to turn and behold? Now, I know we're waiting for the divine crashing in the Sinai mountain fire glory cloud, but it doesn't always happen that way. Before there was ever Exodus 19, cloud fire glory, one man had to turn aside. One man had to have the ability in the midst. This was his everyday life. This was a guy for 40 years. Can you imagine? It was the same path with the same sheep, with the same root, with the same job every day. But there was something about this day that was going to change the trajectory of his, not only his life, but people hundreds of miles away in Egypt. Nobody knew. But on this day, he was stepping into a defining moment where he turned and all of a sudden, oh, what at one point just seemed like everyday normal life, God said, no, in this moment, you're standing in holy ground. Yeah. Now, I want to invite us into this narrative because for many of us, we feel disconnected from the Jesus narrative because nothing about our lives seems extraordinary. It seems very mundane, very boring, going through the motions, very disappointing. But like, oh God, can you just hear me? But I, I want to propose to you today that maybe if we just turn, I'm not saying you haven't turned. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. What I want to propose to you is maybe you're just one moment away from everything changing in your life. One moment of letting go of bitterness, letting go of offense. One, well, I believe, man, I believe many people are one bridge, one course away from receiving freedom. It's that moment when you don't want to do it. I, I, I know, man, I remember being in Jacksonville. I said I got touched there, right? I spent about five years there. I got hired onto that church and everything in my life seemed to have gone in the direction that I wanted it to go. I'm like, oh God, thank you. Got hired on at the church, everything. It's like, oh my gosh, God took this little drug addict kid who was angry and all of a sudden you gave me an assignment and that was all good and great until everything started to fall apart. All good and great until my wife gets depressed. All good and great until dynamics in the church start not working out the right way. And in 2013, I find myself leaving Jacksonville, Florida, heading to Spring Hill to go through the toughest year of my life. And for us, we love to look at the biblical narrative of defining moments only as David and Goliath. Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed. These are the defining moments. They're like, yes, God, do it in us. But nobody wants to talk about Abraham leaving everything. I want to propose to you that those moments of mountain highs 
are just as important as the valley lows, maybe vice versa. Those moments of the valley lows are just as important as those as the mountain highs. I would come to find out that my drive to, from Jacksonville, Florida to Spring Hill in that year of going from preaching sermons at a church of 800 to weighing turkeys out when Dixie was a defining moment in my life. Where God was showing me in that season that I needed to leave everything to recuperate, to, to get back my marriage and that my family was gonna be important, more important than the mistress of ministry. Defining moment. Now, how many of you know in that moment, it doesn't feel very defining. It feels very disappointing. It feels like God has left you. It feels like everything is falling apart. Yet I want to say to you, if this is where you find yourself, it's okay. He's the God who hears. He's the God who sees. He's the God who responds. And just because we make up our presupposed ideas of how it's all going to play out doesn't mean that's how it's going to play out. So as you continue on through the biblical narrative, you continue to see that there are all of these defining moments. In Matthew 16, there's another beautiful defining moment that, that I, I, just, I just love where Jesus is going about, I want to take you there for just a moment. It's actually Matthew 16. Matthew 16 is going to be our chapter for the week. Say Matthew 16. This is going to be our chapter for the week. Every day I want to encourage you to read it. And we're going to, we're going to like zero in on verse 24 and 25, which is crazy. It's actually the Bible verse of the day today. I did not know when I was preaching this, this was going to be the verse of the day. But in Matthew 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and they have this, this amazing interaction, and Peter makes a declaration. So I want to read it to you. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, I want you to see this question, who do people say the Son of Man is? So he starts off with this question, who do people say that I am? You were in here for just an hour and you heard people all around you making proclamations about who Jesus is. This is good. This is not bad. There are moments where you can get into rooms and you can hear the declaration of others around you. How many of you have that can build up your faith? Man, remember the day where Marcus and Desiree got up and they shared about how God healed Zion of cancer and we got brought into that moment of God is healer? There are powerful moments that we get invited into as a covenant family. So Jesus is saying, who do people say that I am? And they respond to him. He said, this is who people say. Well, they reply, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then he asked them this question. But who do you say that I am? Think about that. He changes the question from a corporate question to an individualistic question. Hey, I know that you've heard what everybody's got to say about me. That's good. But I want to know who you say that I am. <laughs> now, I want to say to you, this week, this is the question that as you read this chapter, I pray God settles in you. Because it's one thing for me to be invited into Marcus's experience of God as healer. It's another thing for me to have that conclusion in my own heart. What am I saying? It's not going to be enough for me to live on Marcus's conclusion of who God is. Not even Marcus, anybody. It's not going to be enough for me to live off of your opinion of who God is because at a certain point, the rubber's going to meet the road. And I'm not going to have him in my room with me saying, remember, God is healer, remember? I'm going to have to come to this place where I have, I'm going to have to have my own defining moment that solidifies something in my heart about who God is and who I am in light of who he is. Because this is the ultimate form, the ultimate revelation of identity, that we would see God and we would see ourselves in light of him. I'm not trying to get my identity, no, off of books or, no. Who is God and who am I in light of him? So he hits them with this question. All the disciples are there. This is towards the end of Jesus' life. Who do you say I am? And, and Peter responds. Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah. This is verse 16, the son of the living God. Then Jesus says to him, you are blessed, Simon of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from human being. Now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. How many of you know that's a defining moment? <laughs> Could you imagine? Jesus is asking them all the question. Peter stands, boom, he gives the right response. And all of a sudden he says, on this, I'm gonna build my church. That's a moment, guys. If I was people back, heck yeah. 
I, 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 you know what I mean? Like you're starting to feel something. Like not only did I get it right, but Jesus is saying upon this revelation, upon me, we're going to build this church. And he's having a moment and Jesus goes on and he, he begins to predict his death. He's bringing his disciples in. Verse 21, he's bringing his disciples in onto what's about to happen. And right on the backside of the right answer, Peter's about to give the wrong answer. Jesus is like, hey, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be killed. On the third day, I'll be raised up. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Could you imagine? Nay, none of y'all ever gave Jesus harsh words. But Peter, he said, I reprimanded for saying, heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. That's a bad day. That's like from Mount High to about Valley Low. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things only from a human perspective. Then he says this. If any of you, say that's me, I want to put it up. If any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn. Remember we talked about turning? You must turn from your selfish ways, pick up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your what? Soul. Is anything now worth more than your soul? And now he's going to put everything into a divine perspective because the reality is nobody wants to hear this. These are men that had given up everything to walk with this Messiah, with this teacher, with this rabbi for three years. And all of a sudden, the very person that they pushed all their chips in is saying, I got to go. They have no idea anything about the Holy Spirit yet until the upper room when he says it in John 14. They feel abandoned. They feel disappointed. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, listen, if you really want to, if you want to keep your life, you've got to lose it. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to, you've got to go all the way. So defining moment for Peter, right? He's in this moment. He's having this experience. All of a sudden you fast forward, you get to John in the upper room experience in John 13. Now they're all sitting around the table. Jesus has already told them, this is who I am. This is the revelation. Peter's about to have another defining moment because now they're all sitting at a table in the upper room. Jesus is going to give them the upper room discourse, which is one of the most powerful messages. John chapter 13 through 17 is some of the most powerful scriptures in all of the Bible. And Jesus is again having this conversation with them. And again, I want to take you there. John 13, if you want to go. I know it's a lot of Bible, but say the Bible's good. The Bible is good. So Jesus is explaining to them again, I've got to go. And again, I want to, I want to make clear, like, Peter doesn't get it. <laughs> he doesn't get that, like, Jesus is going away. So in John 36, 38, he, Peter says to him, hey, listen, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will be able to follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? How many of you ever wanted it now? Just me? This is like 90% of my issue. God speaks to me and I want it now. I'm like, bro, you said it. Now. But what, I, what I've learned is that God is not necessarily so interested in my timeline. And I remember finding myself in the middle of a room. I got invited to this, um, this retreat called Fully Alive. Anybody ever been to Fully Alive? I went to Fully Alive and I found myself in this room. And for years, um, there were some things in my life that there were, there were hindrances. How many of you have hindrances? Just me? It's just me. Okay, good. <laughs> and for years, um, I was asking the Lord, Lord, I need you to heal me from some of these things that happened in my childhood, X, Y, Z. So I find myself in this circle, and there are men lying all across the room. And I have no idea what's about to happen. All they did was give me a book that talked about a treehouse. I was very confused. <laughs> and I'm sitting in a circle, and there are two dudes, like, I mean, they're the, they're the whitest white guys I've ever seen in my life. Like, I mean, comb over, big smile, I mean, just... It was very like, what's the name of that show? I can't remember the name of the show. Mr. Rogers, that was it. Very Mr. Rogers, see that? So I'm sitting in this room and I'm wondering what's about to happen. I want to explain to you what happened because I want you to see that how God divinely disrupts us. I'm sitting in a circle and the guy's smiling, big old white smile. It's like, and he's smiling at everybody and he's looking. And then he gets to me, I'll be Adam. And when he looks at me, he starts crying. He says, I'm so sorry. And he keeps moving on his smile. I'm like, what the heck was that? <laughs> and like all of a sudden I feel unsettled. I'm like, 
What does he see that I don't see? Because when I went to the conference, I thought, I'm good. I'm just here. Somebody invited me. They offered to pay. I don't want to screw it up. The next time we gather together, they send us away, go spend time with Jesus. And again, I, I don't, nothing. He goes around the circle. It's like, so glad you're here. So, and he gets to me, he goes, he starts crying. I'm so sorry. I'm like, bro. So by the third time this joker does this, I'm like, bro, me and you've got issues. He's like, I'm so, he says, everybody close your eyes. He's like, some of you, God's been dealing with you. You want to go ahead and get it done. Raise up your hand. I'm like, and man, for the next three hours, I spent laying on a mat in front of like 30-something dudes crying. Dealing with things that, it was a defining moment where when it really came down to it, he's like, I, I don't even know what you're apologizing for. Stop saying I'm sorry. I don't know the issue. He's like, I'm sorry that you feel alone and that people only take, 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 but nobody gives. And when he said that, it was like, you know, like when you want to not cry, you want to suck the tear back in? It was gone. It was just done. I was just crying. It was, a, it was a defining moment in my life. And so very much like this here in John 13, Peter's about to make a declaration. And he's going to say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll die for you. And Jesus looks at Peter. Could you imagine, like, the embarrassment of Jesus looking at him in the moment and saying, bro, before the rooster crows three times, you would have denied me. This is the same Peter that's cutting off people's ears. This is the same Peter that's going to come out of the upper room and give the whole message 3,000. Peter was that dude. Peter wasn't no slouch. Yet in that moment, Peter finds himself in a moment from, from saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah, to all of a sudden standing next to a fire and denying that same Messiah. Not only does Peter experience this disappointment, everybody experiences it because everybody heard Peter say, wherever you go, I go. The point I'm trying to make here is this is the same Peter that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, would come out of that upper room and he would give the declaration, this is that, that Joel spoke about. This is the same Peter that would be a great part of the formation of the church. But here's what I want to say to you. Peter had to do something with that moment. Now, I could have taken this whole sermon and talked about David slaying Goliath, the fourth man in the fire, the God who closes the mouths of the lions, we would have been screaming. Maybe not. Maybe you're asleep. There would have been energy in the room. But what I want to propose to you is what do you do in the moment where you said, God, I will never, and you have found yourself in the middle of the never? What does it look like for you when you feel like you've disappointed God, I remember driving away from Jacksonville and feeling like, I have disappointed everybody in my life. The people who believed in me, the people who saw me, I've disappointed God. And so for the next year, it took me about six months. I mean, I was, I was like I said, man, I was weighing turkeys at a Winn-Dixie. And many days it was like, I deserve this because I failed. Now, if you work on Winn-Dixie, there ain't nothing against you, bro. Get, get, get your turkey weigh in. But I just knew that wasn't the assignment on my life. <laughs> and it took God having to go into those places of Gia. I want to talk about what you do when things don't play out the way you think they should play out. Are you with me? Now, the good news for those people in the room is that while we tend to want to disengage from the conversation whenever we fail God, what I've learned is he wants to lean into the conversation. And he wants to talk about that very thing. Now, while many of us grew up in certain types of religion where we feel like we have failed God, God is distant, I had my shot, I screwed it up, I don't know what I'm going to do next, I'm angry with God, I'm bitter, what I have found is very much like the prodigal son. You remember this story of the prodigal son? My Bible calls it the lost son. I, I would much rather call it the faithful father. How this kid takes his whole inheritance and he squanders it. He goes his own way. He disrespects his father. He makes all of the wrong decisions. Yet at a certain point, the light bulb goes off. This is what I'm praying happens for some people before we step into conference. Because, man, we, we talk about this a lot on staff. We have, as a staff, we have adopted a mantra. actually came from John Valentine. Moments that matter. Now, I know that I have a lot of moments that go on throughout the day. There are a lot of things that happen, but there are, there are a select few moments that they really matter. 
a select few conversations in my mind, a select few decisions that I have to make on how I treat people, whether I'm going to go there to the Lord and get oil or not, those are moments that matter. And what I have found is many people, they're just going on autopilot. How many of you have ever been on autopilot? Huh? It takes me like every six months to break out of that crap. We get on autopilot and then God is wanting to meet us in a defining moment. Am I saying that every defining moment has to happen at a conference? No, that would suck. Twice a year you get to have a defining moment. That's why there are people that they go from conference to conference to conference to conference to conference. They never get grounded and rooted because they don't understand that at some point that defining moment in the corporate has to become individual. It's the same conversation. Who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? I want to contrast this. But, but, but for some of us, I just want to say, I believe that we are in the middle of a divine interruption. I'm praying this for me. I want to be clear. This week, as I go about this week into conference, I'm not praying God touch them. I'm saying God touch me. <laughs> that may sound whatever. I know that if, because I know that as I seek his kingdom above all else, he will give us everything we need. So I'm saying, God, I want you to touch us, but I'm going to keep the conversation going. The reality is, in this moment, both Judas and Peter would deny Jesus. One would hang himself, and one would come back to the Lord and lead his church. What's the difference? One kept the conversation going. This is the great issue. This is, if I was your enemy, what would I do to you to cause you to not accomplish all God's purposes? I would isolate you. I would make you angry with everybody around you. I would make you believe you don't belong in anybody. And this is the great dilemma, man. We learned this this last weekend. The great dilemma that you and me have is not sin. The great dilemma of the human heart and of the human race is we feel alone. That is why in Genesis 2, God creates, he creates, he creates. And every time he creates, he said, it is good. It is good. But then you hit this one verse where God creates Adam and he says, it is not good. There's no sin in the world. There's no fundamental devil issue. Yet something in the span of creation caused God to look and say, it's not good. What's not good? It's not good that man would dwell alone. What's the root issue? Aloneness. And now if I went around this room and I said, how many of you ever, have ever dealt with aloneness? Every hand in the room would go up. And what I, what I want you to see is just like that story of the prodigal son that would, would come back home and is replaying the narrative of God, I'll come home, or Father, I'll come home and be your slave. This is how we view Christianity. Man, I've screwed up, Lord. I haven't gotten my life together, but I'll just come to church and I'll try to grit my teeth and maybe I'll hold a camera and I'll get it together and then you'll accept me back in your house. When the reality and the great picture, the defining moment for every Christian is that you would have a realization that it's not you that's pursuing him, it's him that's pursuing you. That the moment you turn, it's all about turning. If my people who are called by my name would turn from their wicked ways, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, I would heal them. There's always a turning. But that as we turn, we would rightly see the Father. Not as judge pointing a finger, but as faithful Father waiting for son to come back home, daughter to come back home. This is the defining moment. You think your defining moment has to do with your assignment. It has to do with your dream. The defining moment has to do with you understanding that God loves you despite your dysfunction. That God sees you exactly where you're at. That my moments where I am lowest, He is near. There are some scriptures I love. This is one of them. God is near to the brokenhearted, to those with a broken, crushed spirit. That gives me an assurance that in my weakest moment in life, for you and for me, in those moments where I feel like God is nowhere, the Bible says he is near. That's right. That's right. This isn't Geo's thoughts. This is the Bible. I love that in the narrative of Peter, as he betrayed the Lord and he went his own way, he did his own thing. Jesus meets him on a beach. You remember this story? He's cooking breakfast on a beach. And he calls out to Peter. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat and he runs to Jesus. This is our father. 
This is who he is. That he meets us in the midst of our dysfunction. And what does he ask him? Peter, do you love me? That would have been the worst question ever. Oh, it would have been the worst. After you just betrayed Jesus, he's asking you, do you love me? You're like, bro, I don't even know how to answer this. This is a trap question. I just failed bad. God, Jesus, you know, I, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. What is Jesus doing? He's reestablishing agape love. And he's showing Peter, I know you just made probably one of the greatest mistakes of your life, but here I am in the midst, <laughs> reestablishing love. So, so for us this morning, my question that I would put before you is, where do you find yourself? Make no mistake, the King of Glory is going to be here next weekend. I'm telling you. We're going to pray, we're going to fast. It's going to be electric in the room, but none of that's going to matter if you walk into this room saying, I'm alone. Nobody sees me, nobody cares. Even this last weekend, man, I had, I was at that marriage retreat and I was, we were going through a session and I felt this like rumbling in my, in my spirit where I literally, I just, I just wept. I had to leave the whole room. It's like God refuses to leave us broken. Now, again, I didn't go on that retreat saying, man, I really got to fix this thing. No. But what I'm saying is we've got to be open before the Lord and for his moments to define us. Because most of our lives have been like this. God, I'm going to define what life looks like, and now I want you to bless it. I want, you to, I want to define for you what I think my best life is going to look like. And then I'm going to bring that thing to you. I'm going to say, how does this look like? And then if God says, no, I don't like that, now I'm mad at you. Because I know my best will for my own life. And the divine, this is actually, I want to say this. I, I'm really, I'm going to stop talking here. I want to say this. This is the most liberating thing that could ever happen to you. Is that you give God leadership of your life and you let go. And you actually begin to trust him. With every area of your life. With your children. With your ministry. With your assignment. You could have all of that. God wants you to have all of it. But how about you give it to him first. Let him prune it and let him give it back. This is where I believe we're at. So can we stand? I want to pray for us coming into this week. And then I specifically want to pray into this area of aloneness. I just want to say, before we, we make any kind of call forward to pray, the worst thing that could happen to you right now is you worry more about what people think about you than getting your freedom. What if this is your moment where you've separated yourself from community, from spiritual family? What I know about doing church, I've been doing this since 2008, is somebody can look all in outwardly, but inwardly they're separate. But this could be the moment where God just comes and says, man, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to heal that thing. I'm going to give you grace to let go of that thing. So I want to pray over us. You could turn on some soaking music in the back. It doesn't have to be loud. There's one soaking song. That's it. The Lord moves on this one. This is the one. <laughs> I want to pray for us. Father, we're here. Can we just open up our hands? Just even as a sign of, Lord, we're, we're yielded. Lord, Lord, we're here. And we're asking you in this moment, in the middle of our spiritual family, to touch us. To give us grace, God, to remove everything in our life that would cause us to not receive the fullness of what you have. God, for those in the room that feel alone, that feel forgotten, that feel passed over, looked by, hurt, abandoned. God, we ask for grace in this moment to just respond and to be covered by family. God, I'm asking you in this room as we step into this next weekend that is really important for us, for this church, for this region, that we would be able to come in with open hands and open hearts. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this moment. 
to speak to us. We ask for great courage to come out. To come out like Elijah who was in the cave and the Lord says, what are you doing here? I pray that the voice of the Lord would come right now and say, what are you doing in this space? I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out. Holy Spirit, we ask you for these moments, these burning bush moments. I just want to share before we do the call. Um, last year, um, it was the beginning of the year, I dealt with severe loneliness. And you'd think because of like our roles as pastors and our staff, our staff is incredible. Um, I had fallen into just offense with people. People were offended with me. And it got to the point where I became so isolated because I wanted to protect myself. I was sick of people saying, I'm offended with you. And I thought, well, I'll just protect myself. And what happened was as I became isolated, it allowed the enemy to come in with such torment. I was being tormented all the time and the, there was a defining moment for me. It was a moment, um, we were doing baptisms and the Lord called me off the stage and I was dressed in like my normal clothes. And he said, Destiny, if you would be obedient in this moment, I'm gonna deliver you of something. And I was like, Lord, I'm like, I'm singing right now. I don't need to do that. Like, it's fine. And he's like, no, how bad do you want it? And I was like, I wanted it pretty bad because I was pretty desperate. And I was like, okay. And I got into the water and I watched as some of the people who were offended with me gathered around me and began to pray over me. And as I went under the water and I came back out, I felt this heaviness leave me. And, and I felt the Lord saying, he was like, if you would just have a defining moment with me. And while we were on sabbatical, the Lord spoke to me again, since a little girl, I have been, been spoken over. You're very independent destiny. You're such an independent person. You don't need anyone. Even at a women's pastor's connection, one of the women was trying to be encouraging, but she was like, you don't look like you need anything. You don't cry, you don't do anything. And, and I just, I took that independence and the Lord said to me, he said, I made you independent, but your independence is gonna kill you because I didn't make you to be alone. And you have to allow people actually to be in. So when he was speaking about this aloneness, I wanna say from the top down, no one's excluded. Nobody is excluded from this. Whether it's in your marriage, maybe you've got all the friends in the world, but you feel so alone. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for a defining moment. And I just wanna pray right now in grace and humility. Guys, we've gotta take off the mask. You've gotta take off the mask. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth your look good to look good and then leave this place and hate, hate yourself, hate the people around you. You're full of offense. And you. the sad thing is you actually wanna be free. You don't wanna be that way, but you've got to walk in humility. So I'm gonna pray that the, the Lord would just grant you with such grace right now. Father, before we even make this call, I'm asking that your spirit, you said your mercies are new every morning and it's a new morning. It's a new morning for you. So Lord, right now we're asking for your grace to walk out of this aloneness. We're asking for mercy, Lord, and we're asking for humility. Lord, right now we go low. We go low, low, low in this moment. 
Lord, you said you'd use the foolish things. And it's okay right now if we look foolish to the world. It's okay if we look foolish. Because right now, Lord, we know you want to release us of offense and unforgiveness and self-hatred. And I just even speak to the lie that you deserve this and that you're not worth relationship. I speak to the lie that says you are not worth the relationship or the time. Father, we lean into your mercy right now. I just want to invite anybody forward now. I know it's going to take the courage of a few to come, but we want to pray over you. And actually, I feel like I'm even embrace and just come alongside. And this is good. Just all, of, all around the room. I'm going to call everybody forward. Then I actually want some of our staff and, and people to come around and just pray. I feel like it's important to cover them in this moment. Anyone else? Can we just spend a few moments just praying on behalf of these? I know what time it is, just a few moments. Your prayers in this moment would really matter. How can you pray? Father, we pray that you would remove any symptom, any spirit that would hinder them, that they would be able to receive your love. Father, we pray that not one would leave this place today feeling empty, feeling tired and drained, feeling alone, forgotten. Father, we thank you for the humility of these ones. Can we just get some of our church family to come down? There are a lot that don't have anybody right now. I want to invite you down. Jesse, can you guys come? I want everybody to have somebody in this moment. It really matters. Father, we thank you for your grace that is sufficient. God, we pray for a, 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 a moment like that sun had coming up the hill, that they would see, Father, that you are waiting for them, that you see them, that you care. You're the God who sees. We pray that you lift up off every weight, every hurt, every pain, every offense, even every negative word that has been spoken over them. Father, we ask would you lift off every single word that was spoken, every fiery dart, We just stretch out our hands and we speak life over these ones in Jesus' name. God, would you release abundant life? Would you release hope? Would you release faith? Would you release grace? Father, we just pray for the ability to just get unstuck. For those that feel stuck, we just pray in Jesus' name. Father, would you just give great grace?
Father, we just pray that your presence would just wash over these ones, even now, that you would wash over these ones by the Holy Spirit, that they would receive hope. I just feel like the Lord wants to deposit that. He says, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for heaviness. Father, we just pray for a divine exchange according to your word. That as they lay things down on the altar, Father, that there would be a divine reversal into receiving at heart. Thank you that you see us, you know us. out there just grab the hand of the person next to you let's just pray for one another and then we'll let these continue to get ministered to father in jesus name we ask that as a spiritual family that you would knit us together that we would that god that we would make up our minds that we refuse to let those go alone we pray for even those that are at home and that are dealing with sickness father even for andrew and amanda heard for those that are struggling father we pray for divine grace by the holy spirit to release freedom to release healing to release wholeness of heart body mind soul spirit god we pray for husbands and wives that they would make their primary assignment to remove aloneness from the other to serve to love to see to hear We thank you, Father, that you, you meet us where we are. Father, we pray that this would be a defining moment. It doesn't have to be full of hype, but God, let it be real. That this would be a divining turning point, that things that were left on the altars would never be picked up again. Where the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but dreams fulfilled are a tree of life. We pray that things would sprout up in every heart, that there would be new life. In Jesus' name. I just want to encourage you to just wait on the Lord if you're in the room. If, if you have to go, we love you. We'll see you in prayer room. We'll see you on Friday night, 7 o'clock for conference. Have an amazing week. For those, just, can we just honor what Jesus is doing in the room? If you're down here and God's not done, just stay. We're going to leave the music on and we'll, we just want to honor the presence of Jesus. We love you guys. Have an amazing week. Bless you so much. We're here if you need anything.